So two to five-year-olds ask, on average, two to three hundred questions a day. If you're a parent with younger kids, or maybe you're um, a grandparent and you're with your grandchildren a lot, or you're with um, your nieces and nephew, you're well aware of this. You don't have to be told this. So that means that between the ages of two to five, kids can ask nearly 40,000 questions. That's a lot of questions. My five-year-old is definitely in that big question phase, and with her starting kindergarten, I'm sure she's only going to have more questions about things. And I'm realizing the questions that she's asking that maybe I should also go to kindergarten with her and learn some basic stuff again, because the brain loves to like not hold on to important things like how electricity works or like the rain cycle, things like that. But my brain really really needed to know the lyrics to the 1997 hit Barbie Girl. It felt like that was important information to hold on to. But it did get me thinking about questions and how often I ask questions. Like, really ask questions and trying to learn something more or maybe learning something about an entirely new topic. Also, how am I quick or how quick am I to listen to someone else's experience and ask questions? So it just got me thinking that I feel like maybe there's some things missing from my life and things that are probably really important and that I need more of. So as I mentioned, we're looking at a story about Peter, but we're going to look at someone else because um, you probably haven't heard, her, heard about her or remember her name, which is exactly why I do want to talk about her. So we're going to go ahead and jump into the scripture today. We're in Acts 12, and we'll be reading verses 1 through 19. About that time, King Herod laid violent hands upon some who belonged to the church. He had James, the brother of John, killed with the sword. After he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the festival of unleavened bread. When he had seized him, he put him in prison and handed him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending to bring him out to the people after the Passover. While Peter was kept in prison, the church prayed fervently to God for him. The very night before Herod was going to bring him out, Peter, bound with two chains, was sleeping between two soldiers while guards in front of the door were keeping watch over the prison. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. He tapped Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off his wrist. The angel said to him, Fasten your belt and put on your sandals. He did so. Then he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. Peter went out and followed him. He did not realize what was happening with the angel's help was real. He thought he was seeing a vision. After they had passed the first and the second guard, they came before the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for, uh, for them of its own accord, and they went outside and walked along a lane, when suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and, and said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hands of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting." As soon as he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many had gathered and were praying. When he knocked on the outer gate, a maid named Rhoda Rhoda came to answer. On recognizing Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed that instead of opening the gate, she ran in and announced that Peter was standing at the gate. 
They said to her, you are out of your mind. But she insisted that it was so. They said, it is his angel. Meanwhile, Peter continued knocking, and when they opened the gate, they saw him and were amazed. He motioned to them with his hand to be silent and described for them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison and added, tell this to James and to the believers. Then he left and went to another place. When morning came, there was no small commotion among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. When Herod had searched for him and could not find him, he examined the guards and ordered them to be put to death. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So I don't want to downplay what happened to Peter. It is pretty miraculous. We, we get a sense of how well guarded he was, how many people were involved for making sure he was going to stay in prison. He had lots of chains. And so it is a miraculous story. It's one that we should tell and one that we should know. But it's Rhoda, the maidservant, who caught my attention as I read and prayed and thought about this story. And it led me to think about three kind of things, wonder, curiosity, and belief. In 1962, Rachel Carson sparked the modern environmental movement through a book called The Silent Spring. But a few years prior to this book, she wrote an essay called The Sense of Wonder, and it was her attempt to make sure that her nephew didn't lose his sense of wonder. And she writes this in that article. A child's world is fresh and new and beautiful, full of wonder and excitement. It is our misfortune that for most of us, that clear-eyed vision, that true instinct for what is beautiful and awe-aspiring is dimmed and even lost before we reach adulthood. If I had influence with the good fairy who is supposed to preside over the christening of all children, I should ask that her gift to each child in the world would be a sense of wonder so indestructible that it would last throughout life as an unfailing antidote against the boredom and disenchantment of later years, the sterile preoccupation with things that are artificial, the alienation from the sources of our strength. So there's a lot in that excerpt, but I love the line, a gift to each child in the world be a sense of wonder so indestructible that it would last throughout life. So one thing I do love about kids is their sense of wonder. Everything is new and exciting, and when they see or experience things for the first time, there's nothing like that. If you're a parent, you know that. Like, you don't even want to look at what's happening. You want to look at what's happening in their eyes and on their face. Usually when I have those moments with my kids, I'm usually crying because it's just an incredibly joyful, moving experience. And I love when they see, when they have those moments, you know, they're not obsessed with figuring it out entirely. I mean, yes, they do maybe ask a few questions, we know that, but they're content to sit with things that simply take their breath away. They love that awe factor. They make time for it. They seem to go looking for those moments of wonder. And I think we need to continue to feed that wonder, not just for them, but for all of us. But it got me thinking, why is it that we adults struggle so much with wonder? How maybe we could learn a thing or two from kids? And I think maybe we're too distracted to have wonder, or maybe 
We're too busy to have wonder, or maybe we're too good to spend time with an attitude or a spirit of wonder. Do you think we're too smart to have wonder? I don't know what the issue is, but I believe having wonder and sitting in this place of not knowing or having it all figured out is good for us. Sometimes it's good to be blown away and not have the answers. So I think wonder is very closely related to how we continue to have faith. Because the fact is there's so much we don't know or understand, so we're left with wonder, which I hope is faith. And so I think we need to have wonder in order to maybe have faith a little bit. See, in this story today, I feel like the other characters didn't have a sense of wonder. Yes, they're praying, but they seem to, there seems to be this disconnect of wonder. They're focused on the task at hand. So how can we cultivate a life of wonder, and how do you think it could change for, things for us personally, our community, and our world? I wonder, I wonder if we had wonder, it would lead us to deeper belief. So now I know that Rhoda was not the only one in this story believing something miraculous could happen as they were praying and waiting and worrying for Peter. I don't, I don't want to say, oh, no one else had it figured out. But there clearly was something about how she listened or lived that she was always open and ready for the impossible, for the what if. But the way the others treat her, the way they brush her off, I mean, they tell her that she's out of her mind. If you Google who Rhoda is, she's nicknamed the Mad Woman. Now, we don't really know how she took that brush off, but I can imagine probably how she felt. I bet we've all had an experience like that, where someone didn't believe us. I mean, to be told she was mad, she was silly, there was no way that they didn't believe her. This judgment, really. Which reminds me of a very popular modern-day theologian named Ted Lasso, who says, if you've seen the show, be curious, not judgmental. I think Walt Whitman actually said it, but Ted Lasso is going to have it. So, sorry, Walt. (laughs) But if you haven't watched the show, it's, well, it's the most positive, uplifting thing, and you need to go home today and start it, because season two just dropped, so you're already behind, so get with it. But I love the way that he says, be curious, okay? How can we listen to one another? How can we ask questions? How can we um, be with people? I love that. So I think for us, we need to leave space for curiosity, which to me means asking questions, telling people to say more. And not because you want to prove them wrong or you're ready to debate them or you just want to hear the sound of your own voice so you can tell them how they're wrong. But I mean, actually be curious about their perspective, their beliefs, their experiences, what they're learning, where they're coming from. Like think about how much better it'd be on Facebook if we ask good questions instead of just leaving very long paragraphs of why the person was wrong. Think about the last time you left space and leaned into curiosity rather than proving a point. Because this story is quite painful to read when you think about how they just told Rhoda, it's not true. How demoralizing it must have been for her. 
And I know it, it can be very hard to understand things or be interested in things that are just so radically different from us or when people have such a radically different experience from us, but I believe it's vital to us as a community of faith to be people that are curious. When we lose wonder, we lose curiosity, and so when we lose both of those, I think we lose a lot, a chance to believe things. Because I see that a spirit of curiosity can be extremely life-giving. Because we've been so consumed with proving people wrong or even not even like hearing their side, I think we have forgotten all about curiosity and how to ask questions and maybe sit in those moments where it's uncomfortable. Perhaps being curious is scary for you because you're afraid to see what you might uncover. But if we do curiosity right, I think it can be an extremely loving gesture toward one another. When we see it, say things like, tell me more, say more about that, or I had no idea, people can feel seen and heard, and that can be healing for people. And I start this with my five-year-old daughter. It's an easy thing to do. Again, she's got that wonder, and so it draws me to be curious. So when she tells me a funny story, it's made up, or she tells me about her dream, I ask her questions, I become curious. And man, she feels seen, and she feels heard, and she feels loved, and she feels like she has value. So many have felt pushed aside because they aren't heard. No one takes time to be curious about their story and who they are. And I think we miss out. We miss out on learning things. And yes, we may hear hard stuff, but we may get to celebrate wonderful, good things with people. When people aren't heard, they feel cast aside, lonely, and unloved. And if there's one thing I know as a Christian is that we're called um, to love our neighbor. And as we embody who Christ is, we embody love. And, and, and so that means being curious about who people are, learning to love them, and know their story. I wonder how curiosity could lead us to a deeper belief. So there's um, a scene in the Gospel of John after the resurrection. You may be familiar of it. When Mary Magdalene goes, finds the empty tomb and goes and tells Peter and John, and they run to see it for themselves. Now, it's not that they don't believe her, but they want to see it for themselves. In the story today, no one even checked to see if Peter might possibly be there. And it reminds me that sometimes we may not get to see things firsthand or hear things firsthand. So believing sometimes is hard. But I think there's something about having faith and that faith is seen without believing. You may be familiar with that. See, Rhoda, this scene... Um, of her contrasted with the people that don't even check at the door reminds me that we struggle to believe because we are so consumed with facts, concrete evidence, and firsthand accounts. Now, I understand there's a breakdown. This is not a blanket statement for all things. There are certainly some things we need to research and look at carefully. But I trust that you're smart enough that you can carve with the scalpel here and know when it's time to research and push back, but also when it's time to believe. 
I pray we can be people, people that have the capacity to believe even when things don't make sense, are not our experience, and are unbelievable. Because that's kind of a big portion of the story of God. It's pretty unbelievable. And yet, we're still called to have faith and to believe. You know, I love that Rhoda knows Peter's voice, and I could do a whole other sermon about being ready to hear from God and how she's able to hear unlike others. But I really love that Rhoda immediately turns to belief. She basically is like, of course he's here. Of course Peter's here. Of course he made it. Of course God did this. It makes total sense to her because she is someone who believes. I think we all aspire to have faith like that. Okay, so when I was discussing this sermon idea with my husband, Scott, who is also a Methodist pastor, he's right down the road, but he's terrible. Don't go to his church, okay? (laughs) No good. But he thought about, you know, Reagan, this is a good point. He's like, as a Methodist, we really value experience in our quadrilateral, if you know what that is. So our quadrilateral is basically uh, an instrument, if you will, how we know uh, God, how we uh, explain a lens to look through. We use scripture, which is primary, reason, tradition, and experience. Uh, The official thing on UMC, uh, our website, is scripture is considered the primary source and standard for Christian doctrine Tradition is experience and the witness of development and growth of the faith through the past centuries in many nations and cultures. Experience is the individual's understanding and appropriating of the faith in the light of his or her own life. Through reason, the individual Christian brings to bear on the Christian faith's discerning and cognitive thought. These four elements taken together bring the individual Christian to a mature and fulfilling understanding of the Christian faith and the required response of worship and service. Okay, that was a lot. But the thing I love is that experience is really important and we value it. Because I'm not super heady. I don't remember all the traditions. I don't remember dates and all the things. And I don't always love reading old theologians. But man, I know when I experience God and when I feel God and how that deepens my belief. And maybe you're like that too. And so I'm grateful to be part of a denomination that holds experience as something important and vital and sacred. It encourages me not to discount my experiences and also not discount the experiences of others. See, I wonder what Rhoda would have felt like if she would have known her experience mattered. See, as a woman and someone who was of lower social status, she was probably used to not being heard or taken seriously. But imagine if she would have been made to feel like she mattered. Maybe we would know the name Rhoda more. Maybe we would have heard more from her. Wonder, curiosity, belief, and how we use our own experience to live into all of these to me can be maybe foundational. Maybe wonder and curiosity are a different kind of spiritual discipline, but I think it could possibly work for us. So may you live a life of wonder and curiosity, and may all of that, including your experience, 
lead you to a life of belief. Amen.